Amen. Galatians chapter 5 in your Bibles tonight. And uh, we're looking at, we, uh, we talked about the sinful man revealed, verses 19 through 21. And if someone is committing these sins and it doesn't bother them, uh, and the Spirit of God is not grieved as they're committing these sins, they very well may not be saved. And, uh, and then, coming on here, the spiritual man, with some great truths here, the fruit of the Spirit is. And so here is this, but notice with me, it's also a singular, the fruit of the Spirit is. So in manifesting uh, my life is if I am uh, in line with the Lord's mind, I'm having the mind of Christ, I will have these uh, characteristics. I will manifest these attitudes and this heart disposition towards others. And so this is what the fruit of the Spirit is. And uh, really it's that which is producing the energy, if you would, like a living organism. But uh, that word for fruit there, is, you know, when I'm doing something in my life, I'm producing something. If I'm having uh, a good attitude, it's having a, a good effect upon others. If I'm having a, a bad countenance towards others, it's going to, to create some things that may not necessarily uh, be the direction I want it to go. And it is here used to describe that which is produced of life. Now, lust works secretly, and it displays itself in the work of the flesh. And the Holy Spirit of God, he has a great way of convicting us and making us feel very guilty for our sins. Uh, but but th that guiltiness is only to bring us to the place of repentance, so the restoration to God and that restored uh, peace with God is attained. Now, the first three fruits of the Spirit are, first of all, emotional. Love, joy, peace. Now, we're going to pick up, we, we talked about love, agape. Now, we're going to talk about joy. Now, joy is not another word for happiness, Human happiness depends upon what happens. Joy smiles in the face of the most adverse of circumstances. Now I'd like you to look with me at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, if you're able to. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. We'll be turning to quite a number of passages of Scripture tonight, as we usually do. But um, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. And uh, joy takes even Calvary in stride. Now, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, this is one of my, my, my favorite verse in the entire Bible that I think when I was going through some of my deepest, darkest valleys, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, were those verses in my life that really encouraged me to say, hey, let's get up, let's get going. You're on a race of life, don't give up. And, uh, but anyways, verse 2 particularly of Hebrews chapter 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now, now look at here. He who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. I don't know about you, but the idea of someone putting me, crucifying me on a cross, I don't think, I'm not, I'm not thinking happy thoughts about that. I'm not thinking, woohoo, you know, uh, I'm not thinking that. But, but it says the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame of those who would ridicule and mock our blessed Savior. Jesus had many people. They did not like him. They did not treat him well. They did not speak well of him. I mean, even your religious people did not speak well of Jesus. They were the ones that put him to death. But Jesus counted it joy for the, you know, and you think about this, endured the cross and is and despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That joy, in spite 
of some very bad circumstances was still present. Joy can be on the Christian's life irrespective or without regard to what you're going through. Over and over in his talk with his disciples, the shadow of the cross, uh, black, black and heavy on his heart, Jesus spoke of his joy. In John chapter 15, verse 11, he says, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Now, his joy that he's talking about here, joy is a condition of the heart of a choice. Joy is your choice. You make a choice to be joyful or not joyful based upon your obedience to the Lord. In, in John chapter 16, we'll look at a, a number of passages here in John. Let's turn over to John here real quick. And uh, John chapter, uh, I'll show you that there in John 15. You can read that for yourself as well. I'll re- repeat that. But just think about this. Jesus' desire for you, for you and I is a full joy. Now you might be thinking, I don't know what, and I don't know everything that's going on in your life, but you might be saying, Pastor, that is impossible. Well, Jesus says that your joy might be full. Jesus, you know, endured the cross, you know, for the joy that was set before him. So there's the joy set before him to go to the cross was the joy that you and I would be reconciled to the the very God who created us. That was his joy. He's thinking about the well-being of others in his condition to suffer the most extreme of pain and circumstances. Verse 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 11 of John, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Chapter 16, one chapter over, go into verse 20. Verse 19, I'll give you the context on verse 20. Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him and said unto them, Do ye inquire among yourselves of that I said, A little while, and ye shall not see me. And again a little while, and ye shall see me. Verily, verily, I say unto you that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful. But your sorrow shall be turned into joy. He said the world will rejoice at the death of Jesus. But he says, listen, your sorrow is only temporary. Verse 22. Ye now, therefore, have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. You see, joy is a choice of the will, and no one can take your joy but yourself in the choice of how you're dealing with circumstances, of where your focus is on life. If you're going through some very deep, dark waters, the choice is, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. Just as we had that song, count your blessings, name them one by one. Despite the the worst of circumstances, I, I choose to praise God. I choose to thank God for his goodness and the things he's doing in my life. And by that choice to praise and thank God, it changes my mind in the joy, irrespective or without any condition of what I'm going through. John chapter, seven, John chapter 17, excuse me, verse 13. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. 
Our world is, even today, as I was speaking with a, a few people uh, and uh, uptown, I was talking with them, and the idea is of going through life, but they're looking for hope, they're looking for peace and joy. We, find, we get peace with the joy of the Lord. Do you realize this? As Jesus was heading to, before he left the upper room to head to the Garden of Gethsemane, what was he doing? He was singing hymns with his disciples, knowing that one of his friends, Judas, would betray him. How would you be responding if you knew someone was going to stab you in the back and it would lead to your extreme torture? Would you be singing well? Would you be rejoicing in the Lord? You see, joy is the stuff of which heaven is made. Joy has its everlasting source in God. Jesus Christ going to that garden just as you and I. I mean, he was tempted in all points like as you and I. We have a faithful high priest who, you know, who is just, he was man, fully man, fully God in the flesh. Knowing I'm going to be betrayed. My, my disciples, the other disciples are going to abandon me. I'm going to be put before a ruthless crowd, my own people, they're going to turn their backs on me to kill me, only releasing a criminal in my place, and I can still sing a song. I can still sing hymns of praise to God. I think that's quite sobering when you think about that. I think that's also convicting of the own wickedness of my own heart. I'd like you to look with me at Psalm 1611. Your circumstances do not determine your joy. If your circumstances are the determination of your joy, then your uh, foundation is not in Christ, it's in the circumstances. In Psalm 1611, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Think about this. In God's presence is fullness of joy. Now I want to ask you, where can you be to be in God's presence? Where can you be if you're in God's presence? You can say, I can be anywhere in God's presence. Because I'm, 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 I'm called in Hebrews to come boldly into the throne of grace. So, and I have the Spirit of God living within me. So I can always be in God's presence. Meaning, God is telling us, the fullness of joy can always be a possibility if I'm willing to allow it. This statement contradicts a gloomy view that some unsaved people have of heaven as some perpetual prayer meeting that is boring beyond words to describe. Heaven is not a, a boring place. It is the most wonderful, peace-filled, loving. I mean, you think about everything, you know, what we're really ultimately desiring. I want peace and joy and security and hope and, you know, all of these things. That's all perfect in heaven, but in God's presence, where I'm at now, I can still have God's presence and be in His presence where I'm at. 
In heaven, we will be in His continual presence. Pleasure was God's invention. Heaven rings with song. Heaven is ablaze with light, life, and love. You realize in Revelation chapter 5, look with me here, only once in the Bible do we ever read of tears in heaven. Revelation chapter 5, verse 4. What what I'm saying tonight really does fly in the face of all modern psychology. You have a choice to be joyful as you are willing to be in the presence of God. Now I understand Job and others, yes, there's times of sorrow. I understand that. We all will go through that. But that doesn't need to be the persistent state of my life. I can return to the place of joy. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 4, And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open to read the book, neither look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed, to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, And in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And only once do we read of the tears in heaven, and even then only one of the high and holy ones vacated his throne to wipe tears away and point the weeping one to Jesus. And the only reason why there was weeping is because John had not yet caught a glimpse of Jesus in the midst. You know, joy is when the rainbow's out and, you know, you're smiling undaunted and triumphant in the storm. Here's several things, kind of a little, uh, working through some John Phillips notes here, but he says, joy is the fountain bursting irrepressibly from the depths of the earth reaching for the sky. Joy is the sunshine kissing the brow of the mountain far, far above the thunderstorms below. Joy is the happiness of heaven imparted by the Spirit of God into a receptive human heart. Joy is a sunbeam lighting the prisoner's cell. Joy is knowing Jesus. Joy is the boundless exuberance of God quickening the pulse of a child of God. That word quickening means to bring to life. When you're feeling like, man, God, my heart is broken, my heart is empty, my heart is lifeless and dead, I'm talking emotionally, you're just, you're done. You're done. And you come before the Father and you just say, God, I have nothing. And I need a touch of heaven. God, I need you. I need the Lord Jesus Christ to help me. I want you to look with me at a passage of Scripture in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. You see, friend, if we are able to get a glimpse and get a hold of these truths, it changes our outlook on life. Because what has happened to you in the past does not need to be a continual source of baggage and bondage to bring you into that place out of the joy of the Lord. God's desire is to heal that and to move forward to help you with what you've gone through. In Acts chapter 16, verse 25, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, 
And the prisoners heard them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, I want you to understand with me that what happened to Paul and Silas here, that in verse 22 it tells you that they were beaten, their clothes taken off and beaten. It says, when they laid many stripes upon them, and they cast them into prison, then they put their feet fast in the stocks, verse 24. They've been seized, stripped, scourged, backs bleeding, Feet cramped in the stocks. Prison was dark and dank. Chains were, uh, you know, all galled their wrists. I mean, just rip, you know, just this metal going back and forth and rubbing on your arms, creating massive sores. Companions were criminals, filled the air with their cursing and their complaining. They themselves hungry and thirsty, and they should have been afraid. Now, we, when we think about the Bible, many times we're like, well, they're the apostles. They, I mean, they're like the supermen. No, they're flesh and blood like you and I are. They have the same blood, the same bones, the same, they're human. They have the same fallen nature that you and I struggle with. They should have been worried, anxious, resentful, angry at God. We're doing your business, God, and now we're in prison. And not only in prison, but in a whole lot of pain in prison. What do they do? They sang. Sang praises unto God. That is a very telling thing. Just as we sang tonight, count your blessings. Christian, in the face of adversity, praise God. That is your path to joy. They, I mean, and then God opened the doors, the prison doors, and the jailer, what does he do in the face of adversity? You find two people in impossible, horrible circumstances. Paul and Silas beaten in jail for innocence, only preaching the gospel. You find the jailer, the doors open, all the prisoners can flee and run, and then they're going to kill him. So he, I mean, he's just beside himself. He wants to kill himself. That is the attitude of our world today. Think about this. Two worlds. One of the spirit. One of the flesh. They're going to kill me anyway, so why don't I just off myself right now? Is that not a lot of mindset of people go through in our world today? Struggling with how do I deal with life? It's more than I can bear. I'll end my life and be done with it. Now I wanted to tell you something. In verse 28, think about this, the joy. Paul cries out, do thyself no harm. Now if your chains fall off, you're whipped and you're beaten, 
and those doors open, you are thinking, freedom, I'm out of here. Stinks to be you, but I'm out of here. You're the jailer that kept me in this place. And yet, in this horrible situation, in the joy of the Lord, they're still thinking about others. My friend, that can only happen because you know the Savior is your personal Savior. He's yours. He indwells you. 1 Peter 1.8 talks about a joy, joy unspeakable and full of glory. Look with me at Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, the Bible reads, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. The prophets, they're like, you're not, you know, you don't have the qualifications to be a prophet. You're not, you know, Jeremiah, you're, you're just the weeping prophet. You just cry all the time. Uh, you know, these other prophets, are all, you're, you know, you're, you're not good enough on this, and you don't have these qualifications. And oh, I mean, they just continue to find faults with these people. And Jesus says that persecution rejoice with that. Because great is your reward in heaven. Christian, our mindset is on eternity continually. The world's mindset, just as it was for that jailer, was only on the present. I'm unhappy with my circumstances. The world gets you to think, how are my circumstances right now? The Bible gets you to think of the hope set before you, the God who is for you, the God who's in control of everything. I'm continually looking to eternity and looking to the immutable, which means unchangeable God for my joy. No wonder the jailer and his house and all, I mean his wife and all of his house accepted Christ that night. They saw something different in a Christian who was going through horrible circumstances. It was supernatural. And they had a taste. Just a small, infantile, I mean just small infinitesimal, just like you can't even measure it, taste of the joy of the Lord. Because Paul and Silas were singing irrespective of what they were going through. It is joy is what takes a martyr, a martyr is an individual that says, I will not renounce Christ, I will not compromise, I will honor the Lord, and I, you know, if you're going to kill me, you're going to kill me. And many Christians, over 50 million Christians through the centuries, have gone to the stake, have died in all sort, various way, unspeakable horrors. Because they said, Jesus is my Savior. But they could have joy. Realize this, the proconsul Pliny spoke of it to the emperor Trajan when he would talk about the martyrs going to the stake. In a now famous letter, he had found a brand of criminals for whom his most terrible punishments and most dreadful, pil uh, excuse me, dreadful prisons held no terror. The more he persecuted him, the more the contagion 
of the superstition spread. Superstition is what we would call the gospel, right, of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection. But the contagion, uh, I mean, it's just like a cancer that's growing. This is how he sees it. The imprisoned Christians sang in their cells. The dying martyrs greeted death itself with a cheer. Prisons they transformed into a palace. The meanest food, the grossest food they ate as though it were bread from heaven. One of the early Christians charged with the crime of Christianity appeared before the Roman emperor. The emperor threatened a banishment. The Christian replied, You cannot banish me for all the world. This is my father's house. But I will kill you, said the emperor. No, you cannot kill me, for my life is hid with Christ in God, the Christian said. I will beggar you, the emperor said. That you cannot do, the Christian replied, for my treasure is all laid up in heaven. I will drive you away from men and see to it that you have no friends left, the emperor responded. I have a friend in heaven who is closer than my brother, replied the Christian. You cannot separate me from him. I defy you. There is nothing you can do to hurt me. Such men do not escape from prison. They escape in prison. And it turns prisons into mansions and chains into the glorious bonds of Christ. That magic is the love and joy of the indwelling Christ. Paul, on the brink of his own martyrdom, he would say, I am now ready to be offered. My departure is at hand. And he gloried. He would end up glorying in his approaching martyrdom. He'd face it with joy. He would be, as like the Bible would speak about, the symbol for joy of wine being poured out. Now that wine there in the Scriptures is non-alcoholic. New wine. I'm not going down, but the Bible forbids drinking of any alcoholic beverage. But we think about this, said the Roman author, inexhaustible wells of martyrs, burned, impaled, beheaded. This one, Pionius, why are you so bent upon death, an official said, a Roman official said. You are so bent upon death that you make nothing of it, the martyr replied. You, we are bent, not upon death, but upon life. The joy of Christ would send Christians to their deaths, but yet they could still have joy. That's a fruit of the Spirit. You see, a sour Christian is a contradiction in terms. The only way to abide in Christ is with joy. Actually, the only way to keep the joy is to abide in Christ. Let me correct that, sorry. We must walk in the Spirit, denying my own fleshly desires. There's times, things occur, and you are beside yourself. You're ready to rip someone's head off. And you deny it and you say, I'm going to do what the Bible says I'm supposed to do. Joy returns. Isn't that amazing? Let's look at the next one here. The fruit, of, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. There is peace for a Christian in a storm. Calm, untroubled spirit, come what may. Jesus exhibited this peace. He was never a hurry, never upset, never disturbed. From the age of 12, he knew in terms of his humanity, that is, that he was to die on a cross for the sins of the world. The shadow of the cross kept ever nearer and nearer for Christ, and, and yet he never showed the slightest fear. 
In fact, even in his betrayal, he would put the ear back on Malchus, with whom Peter cut off the ear. He wasn't afraid of these soldiers. It never upset his peace, never disturbed him, his poise. He lived above the storm. And I tell you now that (laughs) that is a work in progress. A great work in progress. The The fierce winds and waves, they beat upon us. They come upon us, I mean, just like sometimes, like, you know, the tide out of the ocean. The, the tide just comes in, and man, it just starts beating the rocks and beating the rocks and beating the rocks. And you're thinking, I can't stand another wave whacking me. I mean, I, I'm, I'm about ready to break here. You know, Jesus, when he bid Peter, come unto me. When Jesus is walking on the water, Peter gets out, he comes on the waves, and then he begins to look at the waves. He begins to look at the storm. And he sinks, and his peace left. He was distracted. You see, my friend, in our lives, Satan will, and and God allows it, God allows these storms in our lives to show us where is my focus. If my peace is leaving, then I have a distracted focus, and I'm not correct with God. I've got to get back into focus. I've got to get back to the Lord. I've got to get back into that peace and harmony with the Lord. I've got to get back to that place of simply walking with him. Now, how do you walk, would you say? You say, well, that sounds good, but how do you practically do that? You spend time in God's word, meditating it, reading it, writing down your thoughts, and just spending time praying and talking with the Lord. Sometimes, you know, even if you're really discouraged, I say go to the Psalms and just start reading and say, God, encourage me and just keep reading all through the Psalms until, man, your heart is blessed and refreshed and God will encourage you. Look with me at John chapter 14, verse 27. Can I, as I preach this message tonight, I'm preaching to myself, it's a great encouragement to me as well, but I find it amazing of what our Savior gives to us. You know, the idols of this world, they demand from you. Now, what are some idols? There is idols, we do have, you know, you have your alcohol and your drugs, those are idols, that we go to to seek comfort, and all it produces is a lot of heartache. We go to the vice of work and hobbies and all sorts of things. These are idols that we give so much time and attention to. We neglect where we should be with the Lord, and I don't find the satisfaction. I'm, but I'm thinking, where do I, you know, you're thinking, where do I turn? What do I go to? What am I supposed to do? And God says, I've been here all the time. I've given the tools. I've given you the very assets to have a, a spiritually vibrant person. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Your emotions and mental health can be well if you're abiding in Christ. Isn't that amazing? In John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Now I want to ask you, even in dead religion, go to to church, you know, stand up, sit down, read this, do this, go for the mass, leave here, you know, I'm doing all this stuff, but I'm not getting the peace. 
I'm still empty inside. Jesus says, I'm giving you, he doesn't say I'm just giving you peace. I'm not just giving you worldly peace. He said, I'm giving you my peace. This is a perfect peace because it comes from a perfect God. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. My friend, our God, he purchased my, purchased my redemption. He purchased me from the slave market of sin in my own wicked heart so that I can have a relationship with the God who created this world, the God who loves me, the God who wants, to, wants a relationship. He wants me as his own child. He says, I'm going to give you a peace, but it's my peace. Perfect, without any fault. I'd like you to look with me at another thing that God gives to us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7 this evening. Isn't this encouraging? I mean, man, this is encouraging. I just, I think about this and and this is one of those messages, man, it just stirs you up. Man, our God is good. He's good. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding. Now, let's, let's think about that. The peace of God, which passeth all understanding. The peace of God is not attained by human means. It's not attained, passeth all understanding, it's not attained or it's not gained or received based upon any of your own intellect. Passeth all understanding. There's no way, it does not make sense, the peace that I can have in terrible circumstances. It doesn't make sense. Which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds So your heart, your whole emotional makeup can be kept in peace in the midst of bad circumstances. He's saying this. The peace of God shall keep your hearts when things are going and you are a wreck. I mean, you're, you're, you're literally like losing your mind because things are going so bad. Your hearts and minds. Now, how does he, does he just say, I'm going to give you peace? He doesn't just say, I'm going to give you peace. He says, I'm going to give you peace through Christ Jesus. So as I stay close to God, the Lord Jesus Christ, his peace, perfect peace, is able to keep my heart and mind. It's able to protect, secure your heart and mind in some very adverse conditions. Man, we ought to be saying, Woohoo! That's exciting. I woke some of you up there. Amen. But in this very thing, Jesus could sleep even though the storms were raging as he was there on the boat with the disciples. The peace of God would take Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, and hold up his heart against all the ills, all the wicked evil sayings that the men perpetrated against him as they falsely accused him. It is impossible to think of God being agitated, worried, or upset. Now, he is omniscient. And a lot of times we think, well, he's just God. Or he's just, Jesus is God, so he doesn't 
really know all that I'm going through. That's false. He was tempted in all points, like as you and I are. Yet as God, and as a perfect man, he chose to rejoice. Paul and Silas chose to rejoice. Yes, he knows all things. He's omniscient, he's omnipotent, meaning omniscient means he's all-knowing. Omni, science, all-knowing. He's omnipotent, omni, all, potent, means power, all-powerful. Nothing can defeat his purposes. He is omnipresent, omni and present. He's everywhere. So what that means is the peace of God is always available to me no matter where I'm at, just as the joy is, just as the love of God is. This is the peace that Jesus enjoyed in his Jesus enjoyed while on earth. He always made himself available to the Father, and the Father in turn made his peace available to Christ. Look with me at Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. If you're in Colossians, go back to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He had come to do the Father's will. It could very well be the circumstances you're in now, should there not be, you know, sometimes we can find ourselves in circumstances, and God's allowed it in His will to perfect us, to mature us, to give us peace, to learn that God can be the place of peace. You'll never know how good your faith is with God until you go through some hard circumstances. An atmosphere of peace would surround the Lord Jesus Christ every step of His Life from the cradle to the grave. We learn how to walk in the Spirit as Peter would enter into this peace there, there in Jerusalem at Pentecost. Now, Peter would eventually, you know, after Pentecost, we see a different Peter. He was arrested by Herod. He was sentenced to death. His execution was set as tomorrow. Sixteen soldiers took turns ensuring that he wouldn't be rescued. Tomorrow he's going to die. Is he biting fingernails, breaking out in sweat, cursing God, tearing at his fetters? No. Is he pacing up and down in his cell, to the, you know, one end to the other, back and forth and back and forth, and just, how much pain am I going to go through, you know, it's, Am I going to have the courage? Is he praying that his faith might not fail as it almost had before when he, you know, when he denied the Lord? No, he, he just went asleep, fell asleep. Rolled up in his cloak in a perfect peace. Peace is one of the perfect fruit, is one of the fruits of the Spirit. As we rest in the arms of Jesus, just as Peter would rest in the arms of the Father. Let me give you an illustration here. World War II broke out in Britain on a Sunday morning. The storm, which had been threatening for years, 
had come at last, writes this illustration. Within the hour, the air raid warnings were sounding in London. The country was at war and the world never, uh, and the world would never be the same again. In one of England's churches, the congregation was settling down for worship when a member came in and made the announcement, we are at war! A ripple of consternation swept through the congregation. Soon, loved ones would be torn from their families, hate herded into the armed forces and marched off to the front lines. Death and destruction would rain from the skies upon the homes, shops, and schools of everyone, everywhere without regard for their age, sex, or health. A grim silence reigned as people in the churches digested the news. War. Then a man stood up and announced to him in this church, Edward Henry Bickerseth's Peace, Perfect Peace Hymn. The song leader must have been inspired. The, the song goes like this. Peace, perfect peace in this dark world of sin, the blood of Jesus whispers peace within. Peace, perfect peace, with sorrow surging round. On Jesus' bosom, naught but calm is found. Peace, perfect peace, with loved ones far away. In Jesus' keeping, we are safe and they. Peace, perfect peace, our future all unknown. Jesus we know when he is on the throne. Peace, perfect peace. Death shadowing us and ours. Jesus had vanquished death and all its powers. It is enough. Her struggle soon shall cease, and Jesus shall call to heaven's perfect peace. Tonight, as you think on these true truths of love, joy, peace, emotionally you can be sound. You can be emotionally healthy as you abide in Christ. And you work through, and I understand there's some people that have been through some horrific, horrific life incidences. But our God's desire is to heal that pain, not that the situation goes away, but to heal that pain by healing the heart so that you can receive the fruit of the Spirit. And as you are obedient to the Lord, and as this book comes in and replaces all those wicked thoughts, see, the bad thoughts are pushed out when the light of the Word of God comes in. And you will begin to manifest, you will begin to evidence in your life love, joy, and peace. But you'll never be able to do that, number one, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You must confess that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And you need him. And you say, God, I am a sinner. I've been trying to live my life my own way. Will you forgive me of all my sins and be my Savior? You're not trying to work for it. You're not trying, you know what, we try, well, I'll try this and this. I'll try to add Jesus to what I already believe. No, it's not adding Jesus. Do you put your faith in Jesus alone? Number two, for those who are Christians, I want to ask you tonight, when you are in the battles of life, are you abiding in Christ? As it was said, the very contrast, the very contradiction for a Christian is not to have joy. In, not to have joy. And so in our lives, am I abiding in Christ? And if the question is no, then what is it in my life that's preventing me from that joy? What is it? 
Only you will know that as the Spirit of God works in your heart. So tonight, with heads bowed and eyes closed, as we come to a time of invitation, all that this period of time is, is a time for you and the Spirit of God to just pray and talk with Him, however God's Spirit may have been convicting you tonight as the Word of God was preached. Number one, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Number two, Christian, are you evidencing love, joy, and peace? And if not, why not? May you do business with God as he speaks to your heart even now as you sit there quietly and pray with heads bowed and eyes closed. When you're done praying, look up, and I'll conclude us in prayer, and then we'll come to our corporate prayer time.